السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد It's been more than 24 hours since uh, Palestinians from the strip of Gaza I remember 17 years 17 years of living under a blockade in the Gaza Strip with limited access to water, limited access to electricity, limited access to life, um, the most concentrated land on the whole of the planet, on such a short, on a small strip for millions of people to be residing in those harsh and tough conditions. This is an open air prison. This is a violation of human rights. This has been going on every single day, whether the media shows it or not. You know, people get together, uh, as we can see, and may Allah reward everybody, but generally what happens is, today there's gonna to be demonstrations, there's gonna be protests. This has been going on every single day since 1948 and more recently in the Jerusalem area in 1967. Every single day. There is no day in which a house isn't demolished, a Palestinian isn't attacked brutally, Palestinian women are not humiliated, people are not evicted from their homes, people are not arrested, people are not harassed in the middle of the night. Every single day, day in, day out. If it was any other country in the world, then there'd be an outcry. Internationally, people would stand up and they would fight against it. But because it's Palestine, let alone the non-Muslims, even the Muslims have turned a blind eye. And more significant than this is this is directly connected to Masjid al-Aqsa. Directly connected to Masjid al-Aqsa. And this is why the people who, from Palestine, from Gaza in particular, they are saying we are doing this, why? Because of the continuous violations against Masjid al-Aqsa. Now over the last week, Masjid al-Aqsa and its people have been violated um, in a way that has never been done before. But have any, has anyone from the Muslim Ummah spoken about against this? They have said whether any Muslim speaks up or doesn't speak up, we are going to speak. Do they think they can carry on humiliating our women, imprisoning our men, attacking our children, violating the sanctity of Masjid al-Aqsa and then get away with it? That's not going to happen, not under our watch. This is what they're saying, not under our watch. We are not going to let this continue and just carry on as it's been going every single day. And despite that today, this morning, the Temple Mount movement have made an announcement calling their people and inviting them to storm and invade Masjid al-Aqsa in large numbers as a response to what has happened. As if they don't realize that that is the very cause. That is the very cause. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding so far 256 Palestinians have been reported as becoming Shaheed. Um, 1,500 have been reported to have been injured, many of them seriously injured. Amongst them, there'll be about 200 of children as well. On the flip side, for the first time, there are 300 Israelis who are reported to be have been killed. And again, probably 1,500 to 2,000 injured. Uh, some amongst them are severely injured. And also, there are reports, and this is documented with video as well, that hundreds of Israelis have been taken as prisoners into the Gaza Strip. Amongst them, many senior commanders of the army, soldiers, and again, other people as well. On the contrary, what we're seeing is Palestinians are treating the prisoners with a lot of care and affection. 
totally opposite to what you see because of naturally they're scared the people are scared civilian people are scared we're not talking about the commanders and the soldiers and the chiefs we're speaking about civilian people men women children who have been captured as prisoners obviously they're scared but they're being told don't worry we're not going to hurt you we're not going to harm you and the idea is to do a massive prisoner swap well not even a prisoner swap the idea is that they're going to demand the release of the thousands of innocent muslims who have been tormented in Israeli prisons for years and years without any trial and without any attention or care whatsoever. And again, this is another area. How many Palestinians are in prisons for years, innocently, haven't, there's no charge against them, but they're rotting away in the prisons and being tormented under very harsh treatment without any medical care as well. Many of them are seriously ill. They need urgent medical care and attention, and this is not provided for them. So this is a story that has been going on for a very long time. This is nothing new. And don't let any media outlet confuse you by saying that, oh, the Palestinians are attacking. No, they're just standing up for what was theirs. They've gone through years and years and years and years of torment, of brutality, and still are, even now, even now, as all of this is happening, in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas in the West Bank, there are Muslims are being attacked and tortured and humiliated still. Many people have been killed in these few hours. Uh, normal seconds are going around shooting people, running people over in the cars. And again, this is something that happens every single day. No day goes by without any of this happening. So we're at a very unprecedented stage in history where this something like this has never happened. Only Allah knows where it's going to go, what direction it's going to go in. But our responsibility as believers, as Ummah, is that we stand with Masjid Al-Aqsa. May Allah reward you for coming today and showing up. Alhamdulillah, we have this gathering and this circle every single week. And we request and we urge uh, the Muslims of Birmingham and surrounding areas to attend, to make the most of this and continue. Yes, changing your profile picture is, is great. Sharing videos is okay, you know. but. In reality, I mean, that's just a click of a button. Changing your profile picture, okay, you're going to change it for a few days. Then what? What's going to happen? If it was sufficient changing a profile picture, I mean, the world would have changed by now if we just change a profile picture. The, what happens is we do these certain things and it makes us feel I've done my bit. We send some charity. And we think, oh, I've done my bit. I've donated to Makassid Hospital. That's it, I'm done now. Intentionally, I've not shared the link for the Makassid Hospital this time. Intentionally. I will share it. But intentionally, I haven't. Because we want Muslims to understand and realize that when a tragedy happens, it's not just about raising money. Because we feel that, oh, we're going to raise some money, and that's it, we've done our bit. It goes way beyond that. It goes way beyond that. What about Masjid Al-Aqsa? What about the cause? What about understanding that this is something every single day? We do everything. All of these things matter. But first, we must understand the core reason and the need and why this is happening. And it all comes back to Masjid Al-Aqsa. And this is what we're discussing every single week, Alhamdulillah, in our gatherings. And this is the need. Yes, it's got a different direction altogether. But listen to what they're saying. Why, why have they done what they've done? They're saying because of the violations against Masjid Al-Aqsa. Masjid Al-Aqsa is an Islamic 
holy site, one of the holiest sites in Islam. And it's the right of every Muslim to protect it, to defend it, to honor it. Masjid al-Aqsa is violated on a daily basis, every single day. And Muslims are quiet, unaware. And one of the major reasons for this is because we don't know what Masjid al-Aqsa is. We've incorrectly defined Masjid al-Aqsa and limited it to one building. So this is where the core of the problem lies. Had Muslims had this understanding and awoken to the fact that Masjid al-Aqsa is the whole entire land of 144,000 square meters. When Allah says, Subhanallah, asra bi abdihi laylan min al-Masjid al-Haram ila al-Masjid al-Aqsa. What does he mean? What does he mean when he says Masjid al-Aqsa in the Quran? He doesn't mean a building. He's speaking about the whole area. The Quranic verse is speaking about the whole area. I, from myself, cannot interpret the Quranic verse in the way I feel fit because this would be tampering with the meaning of the Quran. Don't you think tampering with the meaning of the Quran would invite the wrath of Allah and cause unfavorable situations to arise? One of the reasons we are in this situation is because of this. So to understand and recognize what is Masjid al-Aqsa. Secondly, what can you do for the cause of Masjid al-Aqsa? So of course, number one is dua. Dua, and this is why we have Qunut. Uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when 70 people were made Shaheed, Ulama, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, there was a group of people who accepted Islam, a whole community. So they said, O Prophet of Allah, send some scholars to teach us Islam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam chose 70 great scholars. Remember a time when there's not many Muslims. And for him to choose 70 great scholars, who were all not just Hafiz of the Quran, but they were Ulama of the Quran. And I said, you go, stay with that community, teach them and educate them. And instead what they do, once these people all arrive, the ulama, they kill them all. And these people turned away against Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ, for one whole month, 30 days, a whole month, the Prophet ﷺ made Qunut in Fajr. One whole month because he was so hurt. Such a tragedy. 70 people got killed. And he did Qunut in Fajr for one month. And we're having thousands of people being killed throughout the world, not just in Palestine. And uh, nobody wants to do Qunut. Qunut, according to the Shafi'i, is part of Fajr. But for a Muslim, Qunut should happen at the time of any calamity descending. And the whole world is experiencing calamities now. Therefore, Qunut should be done every single day in Fajr in every single masjid. This is a requirement because we need the purpose of the Qunut is to ask Allah's help and to ask Allah's help against the disbelievers, against those people uh, who are fighting. And that's what the Prophet did. Normally, he wasn't a person that cursed. He wasn't a person that cursed. But in the Qunut, that's what he did. That's what the Qunut is for. He made Allahumma al-anil kafarat al-ladheena. Allah cursed those people and work against those people who have attacked our people, killed our people. And this is a true human sentiment that even the Prophet ﷺ felt that this is not right. How can people violate the rights of human beings in such a brutal way? Only Allah's help will kind of be able to uh, console us. And this is why for one month, imagine how he felt. For one month continuously, every single day, he made the qunut. So this is the idea behind the Qunut. May Allah give us the understanding. If you're from different areas, different masjids, with wisdom, with tact, don't be disrespectful, don't be rude. You do it with wisdom, with tact. 
with soft and gentle words, speak to your imams, speak to your ulama, speak to your members who are responsible there and encourage them if they can somehow introduce the qunut. Not just because of what's happening in Palestine, you've got the whole world is there. Look what's happening in Iraq, in Syria, in Kashmir, in Sudan, in Somalia, you, uh, in, 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 in China, you've got the, the Uyghur Muslims and in what happened in Burma and this is all ongoing in India. Okay, this is ongoing constantly. Muslims are being attacked and this will only connect us to our original source. And that is we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first. We can go to protests and rallies and demonstrations. But first of all, we need to connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then we do whatever action we can, inshaAllah. May Allah give us all the tawfiq. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alleviate the suffering from the Muslims. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala count those who are martyred amongst the shuhada. May Allah grant shifa and afiyah to those who are sick and ill and injured and wounded. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala release the prisoners. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring about a better situation, put an end to the occupation. Remember the problem is the occupation. The problem is the illegal occupation. Never forget this. The media will try and show you something else or tell you that, oh, it's, you know, they are terrorists or they are doing this. No, no. The problem is the occupation. People came from out and illegally occupied Muslim territories, Muslim land, Islamic places. The people, Palestinian people have been subjugated and put under an occupation in their own country. And this has gone on for years and years. And as the years have gone by, they're grabbing more and more land. And they're having to live under this. Now, time doesn't allow for me to go into the detail of what happens on a day-to-day -day basis, living in a place like even Jerusalem. I'm not even talking about Gaza. Okay, they're living in a very difficult state. But even we don't hear about, we hear about the people of Gaza going through airstrikes and how many uh, residential blocks have just been totally demolished last night, right? At least seven, eight residential blocks. That has got so many floors, so that means thousands of people living in each one. They've got nowhere to stay now. They've just been totally wiped out. And this has been done over the years, again and again, again and again. It's nothing new. Uh, but these people, they know, they already know that this is the price they have to pay. And they are saying that we are doing this for your sake, for the sake of Masjid Al-Aqsa. So make sure you support us and make sure you stand with us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. So we have been discussing jumping to conclusions. Jumping to conclusions is something um, we tend to do often and one of the main reasons why we end up jumping to a conclusion is because of anger when something triggers you and something upsets you when you're in a stressful situation and you become angry we start expecting the worst and our line of thought is, if I expect the worst, then I won't be disappointed. How many of us think like this? Right? We, we think like this, that I always have expectations and I get, keep getting let down. Nothing works out. So the best thing is, just expect the worst. I get it. We all have trust issues. And everybody's been through certain things 
with certain people or certain scenarios where you keep getting let down, keep getting let down, and then you learn to, this is your coping mechanism, so that you don't feel hurt the next time you get let down. Just don't expect anything from anyone. Don't keep expecting, which is understandable. But does that mean we expect the worst? The question is this. One is not having a really high expectation and hope from people. But does that mean we should expect? What's happening is we're going from one extreme to another extreme. Right? Expect the worst. And yeah, that's not going to happen anyway. So what we're going to learn today is when we expect the worst, it creates a lot of resentment inside you. Anger, frustration, anxiety, stress. Even when there's nothing happening. Because if, for example, I had some friendship with brother, and I always had hopes, or he's going to turn up on time, or he's going to bring this, or he's going to pay for the meal, or he's going to do this, and he never does it. I just think, you know what, from now on, I'm just not going to expect anything from him. That's different. But now, if I'm just going to expect the worst from him, What's going to happen? Even when I see him, there's going to be this resentment. There's going to be this anger. There's going to be this frustration. So expecting the worst isn't a good solution. Uh, so even when nothing's happening, we might end up picking a fight. We might say something because we've already got this anger and resentment built inside us. And then it can also impact our faith and our iman as well. So, let's look at an example. Somebody says, I've always worked hard and been a good Muslim, but I still lost my job. I've always worked hard and I've been a good Muslim, but I've still lost my job. Why did Allah allow this to happen to me? What's happening? Can you see? This is the expectation he has. He's expecting the worst. So now it's impacting the faith thing. Why did Allah allow this to happen to me? Allah didn't save my job, so he must not care about me. What's he doing? Hmm? Jumping to conclusion. And when we said we can jump to conclusions, it goes one of two ways. What is he doing? Hmm? Blaming Allah. Okay, what else is he doing? Jumping to conclusions goes two ways. You either do A or you do B. What are the two things? Mind reading and fortune telling. When we jump to conclusions, we either mind read, so we try and say what's in someone's head where it's not there, so it's called mind reading. And the other is fortune telling, is we're saying, oh no, this is, this is going to happen now, or this will never happen. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. So not only do we do that with people, we start doing that with Allah. And that's serious because he impacts your face. So look what's happened now. This person's lost his job. He's got this resentment because he's learned to cope. This is his coping mechanism, expecting the worst. Because he's done that, there's already this kind of anger inside him towards Allah. So he said, why does Allah do this to me? Right? He probably doesn't care about me. Now, how do you know if Allah cares about you? Now? Do we know? You don't know. So this person's mind reading. I can't believe Allah would do this to me. I do everything right and get nothing in return. Nothing is going to change, so there's no point in trying. What's that called? That's fortune telling. Nothing's going to change, expecting the worst, so there's no point in trying. Why should I even try now? I'm not even going to pray now. What's the point? I've been doing all this praying and nothing's happening. 
So our thoughts can drastically impact our emotions, which can impact our behavior. When anger comes, it's very difficult to see through and it will impact our relationship with Allah as well. Now we need to learn how to manage anger. Every single person gets angry. We all get angry, right? Everybody gets angry. How do we manage our anger? It's not bad to get angry. It's natural. Everybody's going to get angry. So we're not saying don't get angry at all. That's not what we're saying. Because you will get angry. How do you manage the anger? So we know that anger, majority of the times when not controlled and kept in check, is what really spoils our relationship with people, sometimes family, sometimes friends, sometimes co-workers, and also can damage our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes we internalize anger towards Allah. And although we shouldn't or we don't want to, sometimes it just comes without us bringing it. It's involuntary. Sometimes this thought comes. You've not said it out aloud. You don't want it, but it just comes in your head. And, you know, these kind of passive thoughts, as long as we don't engage or practice upon them, they are harmless. As long as we don't practice upon them, we don't voice them, we don't... And the Sahaba also came to the Prophet ﷺ with a certain type of concern as well. Um, and they said, O Prophet of Allah, Sometimes we have thoughts in our heads we wouldn't even dare talk about them. We don't have the courage to bring those thoughts on our tongues. That's how bad these thoughts are. And remember, these thoughts were regarding Allah. Who's having them? The Sahaba, the best of people. The involuntary passive thoughts. They're not bringing them to the head. The thought just comes to their mind. And the Prophet ﷺ said to them, have you really experienced that? Do you really experience it? And they said, yes, we do. And the Prophet ﷺ gave a very interesting answer. He said, iman. This is a sign you have a clear faith. Your iman is strong. Why would he say that? When you're having these weird thoughts, even about Allah, and he's saying you've got clear iman. Why is that? Yep, shaitan, shaitan attacks. What kind of people does shaitan attack? A thief would only rob a house which has got some wealth in it. It's not going to go to a poor person's house, right? There's nothing in there. Why would he go? So the fact that shaitan comes to you with these kind of thoughts shows that you're a person of iman. Shaitan will only put these thoughts in your head because, and the fact that you're feeling bad about it afterwards shows that your iman is strong, your iman is intact. You don't want to vocalize it. You don't want to articulate it. You don't want to mention it. You detest the idea of it even appearing. But the fact that it appeared involuntary, it was a passive thought, you're not responsible for that. You would be if you went and did something about it. So even the best of people struggled with these areas and they thought that their thoughts make them inadequate in their relationship to Allah. So know that your thoughts don't determine who you are. You are not your thoughts, meaning you, that's not you. If you're having these thoughts about Allah or about other things involuntarily, you're not bringing them to your head. That doesn't define your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, yes. Mm. 
What else can a person do? So, in, in this particular area, we're going to speak about, that's what we're going to do now, we're speaking about what to do. So, these thoughts at the moment, they are coming because of a certain type of anger. Um, the area of thoughts is a very broad one, and it's not, there's not just one thing you can do, there's a, a multifaceted approach depending on what's going on at the time. So we're taking one uh, path where people jump to conclusions because of built up anger. So we're going to deal with that first and we'll speak of a couple of ways and then we'll see if there's any other um, ways we can deal with it. So a person once came to the Prophet and asked, can you advise me? And the Prophet said to him, don't become angry. So he said, can you give me some more advice? And the Prophet said, don't become angry. And he said, can you give me some more advice? And he said, don't become angry. And he kept asking for advice. And the Prophet said, do not become angry. Remember, he's not saying remove anger from your life because that's not possible. You're a human being, right? You're going to get angry. He's not saying don't get angry. He's saying do not become angry, meaning don't let anger take over you. Don't let the anger control you. Don't become the angry guy. Anger will come to you. You don't become the angry one. That's what he's saying. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now we all experience times when some people push our buttons um, and you know sometimes we get a bad news, you get a flat tire, somebody unfortunately loses their job or when you're in a rush, it always happens that you're in a rush and, and your clothes get stuck on the door handle, right? It, it only happens then, doesn't it? Right? When, you, when you're in a rush and you need to get somewhere. Okay, so these moments happen to all of us. Or maybe your children are whining and having tantrums at a time when there's guests over or something. And, you know, your buttons are being pushed. And you're really, really um, finding it difficult to control yourself. So, at that time, at that time, I, I want you to think back now to the last time you became angry. Like when I mean angry, I mean like when you were losing it. Just think back to that moment. And can't you literally feel the fire under your skin at that time? Right? You can feel the fire under your skin and it's almost impossible to handle the situation at that time. And this is why, this is why there's such a huge reward for controlling your anger. Massive. The reward for controlling anger is massive. Why? Because it's hard. It's difficult. In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks, those who spend in the cause of Allah, in prosperity and adversity, those who repress their anger and who forgive other people. Verily, Allah loves those who do good. So Allah is speaking about the best of the believers. And one of the qualities he says, those who control their anger. He doesn't say those who don't get angry. No, the anger comes, the anger comes, but those people who are able to swallow their anger, control their anger. Um, Abu Darda radiallahu said, Oh Messenger of Allah, tell me about a good deed that will enter me into paradise. Prophet said, Do not become angry, you'll enter into Jannah. Again, it doesn't mean don't get angry at all. Meaning, don't let anger overtake you. Don't let anger overtake you. Now, 
controlling anger, if it wasn't something praiseworthy, Allah wouldn't have spoken about it in the Quran. The fact that Allah speaks about it in the Quran is definitely something praiseworthy. It's an act of ibadah. It's a very great jihad to control your anger. And you'll get very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's supposed to be difficult. It's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be difficult. It's a challenge. It's hard. But we have to find ways of learning to manage our anger. So we're going to speak about a couple of practical things now, inshallah, before we move on to our lesson. So there's, there's a certain shift we need to make. We can't go about the same way as we've been going to manage our anger, especially if it's not working. If up until now, you've been getting angry and you think, hey, I'm going to be okay, but you're not okay. We can't carry on doing the same thing. There has to be a change and a shift. And human beings don't like change. But we have to learn to bring about small changes. There's have to be a big radical change. No one is saying that change who you are totally. Okay, you will remain who you are. Your anger will come to you. The way you deal with it is going to be slightly different. And you don't have to do something drastic. It doesn't have to be drastic. So creating a shift in the moment can be transformative. In breaking the cycle, of how you respond to anger. Our anger will come to you, you become angry. How do I respond? That's in my control. And this is really powerful if you can manage to learn this. Very, very powerful. Um, so there's been some studies done in regards to a 90 second rule. That from the time you get anger, somebody triggers you, some situation happens and you get angry. From then, between then and your response time, if you give 90 seconds, so that's like just under two minutes, your response will be much more calculated and calm. It will allow you time to gather yourself, to compose yourself uh, and react in a better way. So within that time, it will allow the anger to come in your body you know the anger is there and for it to subside and then go away. And then once you respond to that, it will be in a much better calculated way, much thought, better thought out and it will be done in, in a fair way. Otherwise, what happens when we're angry in the moment, we say things we don't mean, we end up hurting people, we jump to conclusions, what we're speaking about, we jump to conclusions, we start mind reading, oh, this is what you, you're thinking, this is what your intention was. Or we start doing fortune telling. We say, oh, it's never going to work out. Or it's always going to be bad. Nothing ever works out for me. So this is because you're angry. You're not thinking. You're not able to think at that time. So once we realize this, one, you do it once and then you realize, hang on, I've got a superpower. This is powerful. No longer will my anger control me. I will control my anger. And Allah praises those people. It's a massive, massive thing. Uh, in the hadith it says, those people in the world who control their anger, on the day of Qiyamah, Allah will call you in, in, in the presence of the whole of the creation. And then He will present in front of you the Hurul Ain of Jannah. And Allah will say, choose whichever one you want. You controlled your anger, choose whichever one you want. So these, there are many, many blessings and rewards mentioned for controlling the anger. So basically, there is a window. From the time you get triggered, 
between you taking action, there is a window there. If we learn, if we learn to manage that window, so this is a small shift that we're saying to make. Our response will be much more better and in con will be in control. Shaitan will not be controlling us. Rather, we will be in control. And what will happen is a few things we'll realize. Okay. The last time you got angry and you lost control and somebody spoke to you about it and told you like, what happened there? Normally we say, I was in control. Don't we say this? I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't in control. I don't know what I was saying. That wasn't me. We, we, these are the things we say, right? And we get away with it or we think we're getting away with it. This is our excuse. Oh, that wasn't me. That was somebody else. Who, who, who else was it? If it wasn't you, who was it? Of course it was you. We said, that wasn't me. I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was saying. So why do you say things at that time then? So this is what we're learning now. That to avoid a repetition of this, uh, we can say, uh, cop-out, because we're not taking responsibility. You are the one who said the things and did the things in that state. Many people end up saying talaq, for example, and afterwards they say, oh, I said it when I was angry. Well, nobody says it in love, do they? Nobody's going to say it when they're in love. So it's learning to manage and control our anger. We're not saying eliminate your anger. We're going to get angry. It's learning how to eliminate. So what a really, really effective way is the window between the trigger and the response. We need to learn to widen the gap. Widen that gap between the trigger and the response. So don't react and respond straight away. Leave at least 90 seconds, two minutes, right? And if you have to do something practical, if that literally means that you take your watch and you count 90 seconds, do that. Very effective because you're using your senses. Your senses which would have been normally occupied in something else, you're bringing them here. So you're using your senses. You're looking at your clock. You're looking at it tick, and you're counting 90 seconds, right? And during that time, you will actually feel the anger. You're not going to be a person who says, no, I'm all right, I'm fine. Normally, you say, no, there's nothing, I'm not angry. You're jumping up and down, screaming, shouting. I'm not the angry one, you're the angry one. Stop shouting at me. You can't see that. You don't know what's going on. But when you're sitting there, looking at the time and waiting for the 90 seconds to pass, you're going to feel the anger. You're going to know that it's there. And there's nothing better than knowing that, number one, once you're sitting there, let, letting that clock tick away, the first thing you're going to realize is no situation in the world can force you to do anything. Number one, no situation in the world can force you to do anything. Up until now, we were being led by our emotions. So we're, going, we're learning how to not let our anger control us. We control the anger. This is what the hadith is saying. Then to control the anger. Not the anger goes away. Control it. Manage it. Number one. No situation can force you to do anything. Number two. You always have a choice. What kind of thing? I didn't have a choice. I had to do that. No. We will learn that you always have a choice. Number three. While you cannot control your circumstances, you can control your response to them. Somebody swore at me 
or for example my tire became flat or I missed the train or my kids are playing up I can't control that those are daily situations that arise I didn't want those things to happen but they happened but how I respond that's in my control because we're living this life thinking this is beyond me it's not it's out of my control I can't do anything about it yes you can't do anything about the situation but we can do something about the response and another thing is you have a choice moment to moment how you want to show up in this world in your relationships and you have a choice of responding how you want so we're going by thinking that the world is controlling me the situation is controlling me people are controlling me but in reality you have a choice you don't have a choice about the situation but you have a choice in regards to your response so the first thing we've learned is creating a window and if that means physically looking at your watch or putting a timer on or looking at the clock for 90 seconds or two minutes and if you can widen that gap even more that would be amazing during that time all of these realizations will come to you and once you do it a few times you're going to be able to learn how to control your desires how to control your emotions how to control these feelings that come up not just anger but so many other things so many other things that come up right which fall under the category of shahwat for example because we we always say oh, i couldn't do anything about it it just the urge came and i did it that's because we want to practice immediately and follow through with the urge as soon as it arises putting a small break in between allows you to think allows you to be more present allows you to have more understanding of what's going on uh, so that's the first thing second thing is um, the Prophet ﷺ told us if you're standing okay this is another shift you're standing what do you do sit down if you're sitting lie down so physical shifts also have a massive impact as well we think we do this but we don't we think we know this but we don't do it think about the last time you got angry right most likely you were going crazy you're raising up and the Prophet said this is because of the the heat of the fire because the anger comes from shaitan shaitan is from fire in another narration the Prophet has told us to drink water or to make wudu again this is a physical shift of cooling and this is what it's doing isn't it it's widening the gap you are going to do something about it you are going to speak about it or address the issue but by having this gap in between whether it's just controlling your anger by sitting in one place or whether you need to go and drink water or whether you need to change your environment go in a different room these are things that the prophet has instructed us to do and finally one more i'm going to mention and this is something that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the prophet to do and Allah says we know that you are distressed because of what the people are saying the people are saying nasty and horrible things to you and we know that you are very hurt by this so what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say he said to him that praise Allah 
We come from the people who make sujood and prostration. So again, from the Quran, we learn something very effective in allowing us to manage our feelings better of distress. Because when, when we're distressed, that's when we get angry. And then in anger, we retaliate. So another way is putting your head to the ground, making sujood, bakun min sajideen and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. So throughout this week, inshallah, um, that's something that we want to focus on. Practice is, um, I'm not saying go and get angry, but we know we are, there are going to be situations where anger will arise. So we want to try and create a little bit of a gap in between. There's many different techniques. Look, some things work at certain times, and that's why there's many different things. Even in the hadith, we haven't just been given one thing. Every situation is different. Do what works for you, but make sure we try the prophetic methods. The idea is making a gap between the trigger and the response. That's what the idea is. That's what we call controlling your anger, managing the anger better. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. So today's lesson is number, what is it number? Sixteen was last week, right? Seventeen. What do you know about Masjid Al-Aqsa lesson 17? We're speaking about pre-Islamic history and this is part five in the pre-Islamic history. And today we'll be speaking about the rule of Bani Israel the era of prophets Dawood and Suleiman In the Torah, there is a book called the Book of Judges, Al-Qudad. And there's a story mentioned in there regarding a person called Yahuda. And after Yusha bin Nun salam passed away, this man, Yahuda, he entered into Jerusalem along with the Bani Israel. However, the Bani Israel, after entering into Jerusalem, later on, after many years later, they fell into paganism, idol worship, and disbelief. And because of this, they were expelled from Jerusalem once again. This cycle of faith of the Bani Israel from going from Tawheed to Shirk, Shirk to Tawheed, Tawheed to Shirk, Shirk to Tawheed, this cycle continued for 400 years. So they kept going from one to the other. At times they were on Iman, at times they were on Kufr and Shirk. And it persisted until Sayyiduna Dawood alayhi salam appeared. Now the exact duration between Yusha bin Nun and Dawood alayhi salam's time remains unknown. And especially as we know that between the Bani Israel who were uh, the children of Yaqub alayhi salam from Egypt and the Canaanites who were the Palest original Palestinians, there was a lot of conflict between them. Now the Quran tells us a story how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appointed a king by the name of Talut, who ruled the Bani Israel to lead them. And remember the Bani Israel were the monotheistic people, the people of Tawheed at that time, against Goliath. Who was Goliath Jalut? He was the pagan Canaanite ruler. So the, he's a Palestinian. So at this time, Jalut is the king, a pagan, Canaanite king and ruler for the people who are in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Bani Israel are out of Jerusalem, out of Al-Ardul Muqaddasa, and they are being led by who? Talut. We know that Dawud defeated Goliath, defeated Jalut, as the Quran tells us, 
and the forces of Talut gained victory. Dawud after this, he established his reign in Jerusalem and he frequently visited Masjid al-Aqsa, he prayed there, he lived there for the rest of his life. And this was the first monotheistic conquest of Jerusalem dated back to the first, uh, early first millennium BC. So this is the first, um, oh sorry, sorry, this is the second uh, conquest because the first one was led by Yusha' bin Nun before him. So the second conquest. Now Dawud conquest, now this is something to note. Dawud conquest doesn't grant the modern day Yahud any right over Masjid al-Aqsa, any right over Jerusalem, any right over Palestine. And the Quran emphasized this, that the reason why the Bani Israel at that time gained prominence and they were given Al-Ardul Muqaddasa, Al-Ardul Mubaraka, Baytul Maqdis, the land of Palestine. Why? Because of their righteousness, because of their piety, not because of lineage or race. And this is probably why Allah mentions here something from the previous scriptures in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we have already written in the Psalms after the reminder about the dhikr, This is a mention of something that came in the previous scriptures to show to the people today that don't make this mistake or just because the Bani Israel had Palestine then they should have it today. No, they had it. Why? That only the righteous servants of mine will inherit the land. Talking about Al-Ard Al-Muqaddasah. Countering claims by today's Yahud, many of them whom don't even acknowledge the prophethood of Dawud alayhi salam. So they're trying to say this was David. They don't even accept him as a Nabi. Did you know the Yahud do not believe Dawud alayhi salam to be a prophet? They only believe him to be a king. Now, there is a divine principle of Allah. And the divine principle of Allah is one of Allah's sunnah, Allah's ways, Allah's methods. It's called istibdal. This is Allah's system of istibdal. Meaning, if you don't do it properly, Allah will change. Allah will replace you with others who will do it better than you. So you had it. That's fine. You had it at one point for a short period anyway. But Israel were not in Palestine for a long time at all. You were there for a short period, but you didn't behave the way you were supposed to. You weren't righteous. You didn't act with piety. So this is the sunnah of istibdal. So the divine principle that led to the Canaanites, so Goliath, Jalut and the Palestinians at the time, they were not on Iman, they were on Kufr. So what happened? Allah's sunnah of istibdal took place. Meaning Allah's system of replacement. Jalut and the warriors that were with him, they were replaced by who? Talut, Dawud and the Bani Israel. So exactly the same thing that happened then to the Canaanites being replaced by the Bani Israel has happened today that the Bani Israel have been replaced by who? The Muslimin. Exact same thing. Because this is Allah's sunnah of istibdal. The people of Palestine at least accepted Dawud as a Nabi and a king as well. We have given Dawud a bounty from us. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 
these ayat of the Quran tell us that Daud salam was given a lot of uh, he was he, he was given a lot of power and Daud salam carried out many miracles as well whilst living in Jerusalem. Now Daud salam eventually passes away and then the Bani Israel uh, they managed to secure Baytul Maqdis under their rule. Why? Because they remained steadfast on Tawheed. Remember our discussion from since the time we started the history of Baytul Maqdis has been the discussion of Tawheed. So the Bani Israel maintained their status after Dawud al-Islam passing away. Why? Because they maintained on Tawheed. Now who comes? The son of Dawud alayhi salam, Sulaiman alayhi salam. Sulaiman alayhi salam succeeds his father Dawud alayhi salam and he showcased even greater miracles than his father. And the rule of Sulaiman marks the zenith of the Bani Israel's rule. That was the high time. That was when they were in the greatest power during the time of Sulaiman We find the hadith of Sunan al-Nasai where the Prophet mentions that Sulaiman when he came close to the completion of the construction of Baytul Maqdis, he made three du'as. Number one, he prayed, Oh Allah, make my judgment coincide with your judgment. Oh Allah, grant me a kingdom that will not be suitable for anyone after me. And oh Allah, anyone who comes to this masjid, meaning Masjid Al-Aqsa, and prays Salah here, make them return just like the day they were born, innocent, totally free from sins. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah gave him the first two, and I hope he gives him the third one as well. Now, despite the lack of archaeological evidence from the time of Sulaiman the modern day Yahud claim that Sulaiman constructed a building, nowadays people call it a temple. Their claim does not grant them any right over Masjid al Aqsa. This is a claim which, which cannot be backed up. There is no archaeological evidence to prove that the temple that they are claiming existed where Masjid al Aqsa is today. Since 1967, since the occupation of uh, the area of Jerusalem, where it is now, where Masjid al-Aqsa is, there have been many uh, archaeological excavations. And the top Israeli archaeologists agree and acknowledge that to date nothing has been found to prove the existence of a so-called temple. Nothing. Nothing at all. So their claim does not give them any right to Masjid al-Aqsa, number one. And number two, a question arises, why is there nothing, nothing archaeologically, this is an important point for Muslims to bear in mind, archaeologically, there is no evidence of anything being present today from the time of Sulaiman nothing. Not even those pillars that people speak about underneath Aqsa, nothing, no. They are not from the time of Sulaiman Archaeologically, it cannot be proven. They go back to the Roman period, because now Alhamdulillah we have, uh, technology we can do all of this and even in the past as well they could be able to tell just because a stone is big that doesn't give me or you the right to say oh the jinns built this we know the jinns work for Sulaiman but how can you say that that pillar was put there by the jinn how who who this this is not how our deen doesn't work like this the world doesn't work like this you can't just say oh I, I can tell you this this microphone stand the jinn put it here the jinn of Sulaiman do you believe me? Hmm? 
Why, why don't you believe me? I'm telling you. I'm a tour guide. I'm telling you. This, this was put by the jinn of Sulaiman But why is it when you go there and somebody tells you this was put there by Sulaiman Salam's jinn? There is no evidence of anything in the whole of Masjid al-Aqsa or surrounding areas from the period of Sulaiman One of the reasons of that could be his dua he made. It's in the Quran and it's in the Hadith. He made dua in the Quran. He said, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi ghfirli wa habli mulkan la yambaghi li ahadim min al-alameen. Oh Allah, grant me forgiveness and grant me such a kingdom that nobody after me will ever experience. Nobody will ever experience that kingdom. And this is why, this is why we find that Sulaiman salam, as soon as he passes away, his whole kingdom diminished. His kingdom was so vast. No one's seen a kingdom like the kingdom of Sulaiman salam. But as soon as he passed away, everything was gone. Totally gone, nothing. Because he made this dua. He said, Oh Allah, grant me a kingdom. That nobody should have it after me. No one should have that kind of kingdom after me. So, Sulaiman passes away. Now what happens? After Sulaiman passed away, the Bani Israel... Um, so, the united rule between Daud and Sulaiman was about 80 years. Not long. Not long. When they say, oh, we were there and 80 years. Daud the rule that they had in these lands was not a long period, 80 years. Sulaiman passes away. Now the Bani Israel, they began to deviate from the teachings of Daud and Sulaiman didn't remain on the Haq, didn't remain on Tawheed. And because of this, they faced divine retribution. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent them trials and challenges. Why? Because they moved away from the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As a result of this, this created a split between the Bani Israel. And there was a divide and it became the north and the south. So the Bani Israel split into two kingdoms. The first was the northern kingdom. And they called this Israel, which we're calling it, which they call it now. So they called the north part Israel. And they put their capital in uh, a place which they call Shekhim, which is Nablus today. So they made that their headquarters. And then the southern part, uh, they called it uh, the kingdom of Judah and based in Jerusalem was the capital for that and it's called the southern part Judah. So Judah and they called the northern part Israel at that time and this is how the Bani Israel split into two. So summarizing the first thing we spoke about was after Yusha bin Nun, Yusha bin Nun was the first conqueror right we spoke about that in the last session. After Yusha bin Nun the Bani Israel went through a cycle of faith and shirk for 400 years they kept swapping either sometimes here sometimes there until Dawud emerged and he established his kingdom and reign in Jerusalem and the Quran speaks about and counters the modern day claim by the Yahud uh, regarding uh, Masjid al-Aqsa based on lineage and Quran makes it very clear that that land and Masjid al-Aqsa and its surrounding has got nothing to do with lineage. Allah says he, in the people that will inherit the land will be the people who are of piety. Yarithuha uh, ibadiyya salihun. Number one. Number two. Then came the leadership of Sulaiman alayhi salam. That was the pinnacle and the moments of glory for the Bani Israel. He showed miracles. He reconstructed Masjid al-Aqsa. 
However, there are no archaeological uh, evidences present today to prove anything exists from the time of Suleiman alayhi salam. Um, thus again, what they claim in their books does not grant the Yahud any right to Masjid al-Aqsa, to Jerusalem, or any area of Palestine. And after Suleiman passed away, what happened? They moved away from the teachings. This led to the splitting of the Bani Israel into the northern and the southern faction. The northern area they called the Kingdom of Israel, and the southern one they called the Kingdom of Judah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Now, inshallah, we'll give some time for Quranic recitation. So whilst the Qur'ans are being returned to their places. The one of the main reasons why what's happened yesterday and is happening now is because of the daily incursions and the violations of Masjid Al-Aqsa. And guess what? Right now as we're sitting here, there's an incursion happening in Masjid Al-Aqsa right now. The temple groups are determined that this is the way we're going to respond. The very thing that's caused all of this. They've gone out and are now to facilitate this incursion. The Israeli occupation have attacked and brutally assaulted men, women, children. The guards of Al-Aqsa have been hurt. And all of Masjid Al-Aqsa has been emptied. Why? Just to facilitate this Zionist incursion into Masjid Al-Aqsa. We've just spoken about it in detail in regards to who has the right of Masjid Al-Aqsa. And this is, first of all, it's not even a right. And it's being done at the expense of uh, hurting, assaulting, humiliating Palestinians every single day. So this is something we have to understand that Masjid Al-Aqsa is a, an Islamic site. It belongs only to Muslims and the entirety of Masjid Al-Aqsa. What is, what is Masjid Al-Aqsa? When Allah says, Subhanalladhi asra bi abdihi laylam min al-Masjid al-Haram ila al-Masjid al-Aqsa. The Masjid Al-Aqsa Allah speaks about in the Quran is not a building. The Masjid Al-Aqsa Allah is speaking about in the Quran is the whole area. And that is where the Zionist incursion is taking place inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. And we must, we must, we must speak about this. We must raise awareness of this. We must, this must hurt us. We must feel something for this. How can when the holiest places in Islam be violated every single day and Talmudic rituals being carried out? And not only is that, is it done by them, right? To facilitate that, Masjid Al-Aqsa is emptied from the Muslims. Muslim guards, Muslim men, women are attacked. They are brutally prevented from entering Masjid Al-Aqsa. Some of them even way before the Fajr Salah. So many people are not even allowed, on a, this is on a daily basis, not even just today. Many Palestinians are not allowed to access Masjid Al-Aqsa for Fajr and Dhuhr. Why? Just so that the Zionist incursion can be facilitated and they don't have any worry or fear that these Palestinians going in might block it or might stand in the way or might be a means of them becoming scared or frightened inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. So this is an ongoing thing. So this is the first thing. Second thing, what are you going to go away with today? We've come here. What are we taking with us? Is it just going to be another week? We just carry on with our thing and, you know, share some videos and some posts and maybe someone might attend a demonstration, someone might attend a rally. What are you taking away from here? What we want to take away from here is something very, very practical. Every single person sitting here can make a difference. 
Now you might be thinking, how? Oh, we can't go over there. We can't, you know, we're not, we're not in a capacity to do anything to that level. Well, the first thing is we go back to Quran. And Quran says, Allah will never change the situation of a people until they don't change themselves. I can't control the politicians. I can't control the other people. I can't control the world. I can control myself. I can control myself. Nuruddin Zinki rahmatullahi 20 years before the liberation of Baytul Maqdis, when it was occupied by the Crusaders, he did something himself. He built a member, right? And I'm not saying to you, go and build a member, right? But you can build your connection with Allah. With this intention, I can spend the rest of today with this, making this intention that, oh Allah, today for the rest of the day, I will try not to commit any sins. So that that helps the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Today I just read some Quran now. I can make the intention while I'm reading this Quran for this recitation to help the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa, to protect the Palestinians, to assist. And on your intention, Allah will give you the reward. So much so that you live, everything you do is for that sake. You wake up in the morning, your intention is, oh Allah, make this day of mine. And this is how we find many, many people around the world when this tragedy is taking place, they keep a fast. They keep a fast thinking, today I'm keeping a fast so that Allah assists these people who are going through these trials and their tragedies. So this is something, and this is how you can 24 hours be connected to Masjid Al-Aqsa and continue doing whatever you can. So this is the first thing. Because remember, every good deed that you carry out has a massive impact. You might not see it. So every time you do a good deed, it doesn't just affect you. It has an impact on the whole world. And this is why, why do the birds in the sky and the fishes in the sea and the ants in the hole that like the hadith mentions, why do they make istighfar for people who are doing good deeds and learning knowledge? Why? Because the scholars say when a person does any good deed, good deeds have an impact on the whole world. There's a global influence. So you can carry out, you might say, okay, all I'm going to do is still far, 100 is still far, and I want this to help the cause. And it will help the cause. Similarly, when I commit a sin or do something wrong, you know, when people say, oh, don't judge me, leave me to my own thing. Yeah, we're not going to judge you because that's between you and Allah. But we are going to remind you because when you commit a sin, even if it's private, even if I'm not hurting Ahmad Bai, for example, the people say, I'm not hurting anybody. Even if I'm committing a sin in private, the detriment and the harm of that sin is not just to you. It impacts globally. Everybody is impacted. So if I can't do many good things, at least we can make this intention that inshallah, oh Allah, for your sake, I'm going to abstain from committing any sins. Because if I carry on doing more sins, it's going to pollute the earth. When I pollute the earth like this, the situations that come from Allah to the world, not just to the UK, to the world, are not going to be very good. So we can invite the Rahmah of Allah by A, trying to do many good deeds. And if we can't do many good deeds, the least we can do is every day when you wake up in the morning, make this intention, Oh Allah, today is going to be sin-free for the sake of Aqsa. And yes, we'll slip up, we'll make mistakes. We keep trying again, keep renewing your intention and you'll get a lot of reward. And Allah will count you amongst the muharririn, inshallah, from amongst the liberators. Because remember, it's about the intention. Allah doesn't look at your faces. Allah doesn't look at our outer. He looks at what's in the heart. 
And I know many of us will want to be there to do something about it. But our circumstances prevent us. Does that mean we don't do anything? No, we do what's in within our capacity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. We'll do some dhikr and conclude with dua. La ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, 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 Astaghfirullah, 
Allah. Grant us a life of your awareness, O Allah. Grant us a life of your nearness, O Allah. Allah, grant us your love, O Allah. Increase us in our love for you, O Allah. O Allah, make your love intense in our hearts, O Allah. O Allah, grant us the love of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Make his day our day. Make his night our night. Help us to revive the sunnah within our homes, O Allah. Within our lives, O Allah. Within our communities, O Allah. Grant us the true love of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Help us to live according to the sunnah, O Allah. Grant us barakah in our livelihood, O Allah. O Allah, look after our parents, O Allah. Have mercy on our parents, O Allah. Have mercy on our parents, O Allah. Grant them good health and afia, O Allah. Take care of their needs of dunya and akhirah, O Allah. When the time comes for them to leave the world, O Allah, grant them husnul khitam, O Allah. Those of our parents who have left the world, fill their graves with nur, O Allah. Elevate their status in the hereafter, O Allah. Make the stages of the hereafter easy for them, O Allah. Unite us with them in Jannatul Firdaus, O Allah. Protect and save God us from Jahannam, O Allah. And grant us entry into Jannatul Firdaus, O Allah. Protect the sanctity of Haramain Sharifain, O Allah. Protect the sanctity of Haramain Sharifain, O Allah. Protect the sanctity of Masjidul Aqsa, O Allah. Have mercy on the Ummah, O Allah. Have mercy on Palestine, O Allah. Have mercy on the people of Palestine, O Allah. Have mercy on the people of Gaza, O Allah. Alleviate them from their sufferings, O Allah. Grant them victory, O Allah. Grant them glory, O Allah. Help them and protect them, O Allah. Be with them in this time of need, O Allah. Allah, they are going through the greatest challenge ever, O Allah. Be with them, O Allah. Allah, be with them, O Allah. Be with them, O Allah. Shower them with your mercy, O Allah. Grant them your special protection, O Allah. Strengthen them, O Allah. Strengthen them, O Allah. Allow them to continue resisting the illegal occupation, O Allah. Make them firm, O Allah. Grant them sabr, O Allah. Grant them steadfastness, O Allah. Make them firm, O Allah. Increase them in their iman, O Allah. Increase them in their sabr, O Allah. Increase them in their steadfastness, O Allah. Increase them in their strength, O Allah. Increase them in their ribat, O Allah. Reward them, O Allah. All account all of the dead amongst the shuhada, O Allah. Grant shifa to those who are wounded, O Allah. Grant protection to those who are without shelter, O Allah. Grant food and drink to those who are starving and are thirsty, O Allah. O Allah, grant them amn, O Allah. Grant them security, O Allah. Grant them the ability to overpower the enemies, O Allah. Protect the sanctity of Masjid al-Aqsa, O oh Allah. Protect those who are working hard to protect it, O oh Allah. Protect their livelihoods, O oh Allah. Protect their lives, O oh Allah. Protect the men, the women, and the children, O oh Allah. Put an end to the illegal occupation, O oh Allah. Have mercy on the Ummah, O oh Allah. Have mercy on the Ummah, O oh Allah. Alleviate the Ummah from their, alleviate the sufferings from the Ummah, O oh Allah. You be with them at this time of need, O oh Allah. Allow us to do what we can within our capacity, O oh Allah. Give us the tawfiq, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, we don't Show us the way, O oh Allah. Show us the way, O oh Allah. Guide us, O oh Allah. Utilize us and do not replace us, O oh Allah. Utilize us and do not replace us, O oh Allah. Utilize us and do not replace us, O oh Allah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of you many good things. We ask of you the same. He sought your protection from many evils. We seek your protection from the same. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun al-mursalim. Alhamdulillah.